Hello, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy November to you, and happy Thrill of Hope Day. Today is the day that my Christmas record, The Thrill of Hope, is officially available. So we are certainly celebrating that. And thank you to all of you who have helped us get the word out since it's an independent release that is so helpful. We have just been blown away by the support around it and we are so very grateful. To celebrate, I've saved today's interview for such a time as this. I've actually been wanting to interview my husband, Nathan, for quite some time, but we decided to wait for this special day as sort of a commemoration of the Christmas record releasing today. I remember right where I was standing and exactly what I was wearing the day that I got reacquainted with Nathan Knuckles. I was in Estes Park, Colorado at the Christian Artist Seminar in the Rockies. I was standing in line for the Rich Mullins concert that night, and there he was just ahead of me standing in line next to Charlie Hall. It had been about two years since I had seen Charlie, and at that point, He was just a guy I had met in a snow cone line at church camp when I was about 17. And as far as Nathan, it had been about a year since our first encounter, which was during a visit to Oklahoma Baptist University to see my brother Eric, and also actually to see this guy that I was interested in at the time. Well, that guy had forgotten my birthday a few weeks earlier, so he planned a little afternoon surprise for me while I was on campus, one that would be life-changing for sure, just probably not in the way that he was thinking. I was staying at a friend's dorm, and this boy calls me, and he says he was ready to pick me up. So once outside, the boy blindfolds me and puts me in what later I realized was a convertible Volkswagen bug. It was all actually very charming and really sweet. So we took a little drive, and we stopped, and we got out, and I made my way into this building. And as I entered the building, still blindfolded, I could hear pianos playing all around me, and I realized that I was in Ford Music Hall on the campus of OBU. I wondered to myself as I walked down the hall how many times my mom and dad had walked that very hall into those practice rooms. OBU was such a special place to me because it is where my parents met and fell in love. So all of a sudden, I found myself sitting in this tiny room, and this boy takes off my blindfold. There we were, tiny rehearsal room, four white walls, one piano, now two boys, and me. Volkswagen guy gets down on one knee. We were not in a serious relationship at that point, so I was not alarmed. I was, however, very distracted by the other guy sitting at the piano. He's very handsome, I thought to myself. Handsome boy at the piano begins to play, The boy on one knee begins to sing. Thankfully, it's not a serious song. At least, I didn't think it was. My eyes started to do that thing where they water when I feel embarrassed. I'm not sure why I possess this gift, but for whatever reason, when something catches me off guard or makes me feel awkward or I hear a funny story, my eyes water sometimes. I figure I could never be a judge of any kind for any kind of talent show where people are singing and I'm supposed to be judging because my eyes would just cry rivers the whole time. Anyway, the song was something about how me and the boy on one knee had met and how he was really sorry that he missed my birthday, but he was celebrating me now. So sweet. Hugs. Now can we talk about who the cute boy at the piano is? I thought to myself, the boy on one knee gets up after his sweet song and says, Christy, meet my friend, Nathan Knuckles. He starts telling Nathan how I too could play the piano and that I love to sing. And Nathan's like, wow, really play me something. And I kind of still can't believe to this day that I had the courage to actually play and sing for him that day, but I did. And I'm glad I did because Nathan never forgot it and neither did I. 
and I might have driven away that day with the boy in the red Volkswagen, but my heart certainly stayed with the handsome piano boy. In fact, my remembrance of that day would keep Nathan in my thoughts for quite some time, and I'd ask around about him whenever I was in town, and the word on the street was that, yes, Nathan was wonderful, but there was always this other girl in the picture. Now, fast forward, and there we were in Colorado, in the mountains, no girlfriend to be found for him, no Volkswagen boy for me. In fact, I'd kind of moved on to someone else and told that someone else that after this Estes Park trip, things were just going to be different. I just had a feeling, and I was right. And little did I know, I would reconnect with both Nathan and Charlie, each whom I had separately met before that day, two sort of unlikely heroes that would actually change my world forever. I had never met or been around boys who, I should say young men, who worshiped and loved God like these young men did. And I was ruined, for lack of a better word. Nathan and I were married at the ripe old age of 21. Our wedding was such a beautiful worship gathering, but we didn't fully grasp that then, not hardly. It's literally by God's grace when we think back on it that we said our I do's and that we're still here 21 and a half years later. We knew, though, that what we were walking in was right. We just couldn't have really told anyone exactly what it was or where we were going. We just knew that we wanted to journey together and that we wanted to journey together with Jesus. Nathan and I have been writing music together since before we were married. When we were dating, we were writing music together. And on this new Christmas album, The Thrill of Hope, one of my favorite songs that we've written together is actually on this record. It's called Our Christmas Song. We wrote it our first Christmas together in our tiny apartment. Nathan's grandmother had just given us money to go out and get a Christmas tree. So it was our first real tree an eight-foot evergreen with the top of it a little bent over because I don't think our ceilings were quite eight feet tall or something. But that Christmas, we didn't have any money to spare to buy any Christmas gifts for anyone. So we decided to write our family a song. And we sang it for them that year as our gift and have kind of been singing it for years ever since at various concerts and just telling that story, of course. And it's always been really sweet to us. And we never really officially named the song. We've always just called it Our Christmas Song. And part of that song says, We'll watch the eyes of our little ones light up as we tell them of your love and all the reasons that we have to celebrate all that you have given us. It always ends up more than enough because we celebrate your love. And we can hardly wait together with our family to see you've blessed us graciously as we sing the manger story about the way you came to give us what our hearts were longing for. So a little fun side note is at the very last minute, I wanted to have Noah playing the guitar and the girls singing on something on the record. So we all gathered in Nathan's studio late at night around a microphone, and Nathan and our son played guitars, and the girls and I sang. And Annie starts it off singing a little chorus that I wrote after our Christmas song that says, Make good your Christmas day, that Christ be born in you. And he who gave his life for you will be with you all year through. So it was sort of our way of saying, here we are years later, and here are our little ones, and we're still singing 21 Christmases later about the manger story. And it was sort of our response in a way to the song that we had written so many years ago. And of course, the comical part is that in my mind, I'm like, well, we'll just throw some microphones up and we'll capture what we need to do and we'll get done with it really quick. But then there's Nathan who actually has to execute all of it. And it's actually no small task to record all of that. And the whole thing was actually 
kind of that, you know, mom in the Christmas picture moment where we moms are the only one we feel like at least fighting for the moment and everyone else is actually fighting with each other and messing their hair up and tumbling in the grass. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It's that's the real stuff that we all want to brush under the old Instagram rug. But we actually ended up regrouping a night or two later because that first round, everyone was a little bit grumpy. And so we tried again, and we captured a little moment in time. But it was sweet because when my parents heard it for the first time, my dad thought it was actually an old recording of me that he had never heard before because Annie sounds so much like me, how I sounded at nine. So it's actually kind of sweet. And you'll hear Ellie and I come in on the second chorus, and Nathan and Noah are playing the guitars. And it was, again, just this kind of audio photo album, just capturing that little moment in time in the studio one night, just as we were kind of finishing everything. So that's just a sweet little side note of our Christmas story. One of my favorite songs that I've ever written with Nathan. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my husband, my partner in ministry and music making, and my co-writer and my producer, the one and only Mr. Nathan Knuckles. Well, today I have my most important guest I've ever had on my podcast. Um, my husband, Nathan Knuckles, is in the house. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's our house, <laughs> technically. Is in our house. <laughs> in we the studio. We don't sound like very good singers. <clears throat> auto-tune. You don't use auto-tune. You use auto-tune on me for sure. No. So. Just a dash. Just a dash. Just a dash of Here salt and, there. and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've wanted to do this for a long time. And then we kind of had the idea a few months ago where I did, because I have all the good ideas. Just mm-hmm. kidding. Um, to save this for a release day for The Thrill of Hope, which is exciting because this is the first record that we've kind of exclusively I guess, gotten mm-hmm. to make together since early, early days of independent when we were just like yeah. starting out. We didn't have a record label. and Yeah. So it was kind of back to some of that. Yeah, and, it definitely was. So we'll get into some of that later. But um, <laughs> I thought maybe we would just kind of talk life and marriage and family a little bit, music for sure, um, because I think a lot of people would just be curious to know what's in that noggin up there. Mm, well, it's a lot of good not stuff. much. <clears throat> <laughs> a lot of things. good stuff. Um, well, we so we met. I was nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, do I look different? <laughs> not a bit different. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you don't. I mean, everywhere we go, people are always like, ah, "You have a sixteen-year-old." People are always saying that, and we're shorter than people think. Yeah, we do get that a lot. It's a sorry. That's okay. Yeah. Um, I was 19. You were probably just turned 20. Just turned 20, yeah. Yeah. We were out at Estes Park, which I've talked about on the podcast before. I'm just kind of going back to that place where we met. And we knew each other before, though, mm-hmm. um, as I stated in the intro of this podcast. Um, and then kind of had met each other through some just a series of funny things and I was friends with your friends and Mm -hmm. um, it was almost like I mean I met your best friend before right I met you I met Charlie who was also your best friend 
Yeah, from my perspective, you were the hot girl that my friend was dating. Honestly, <laughs> that's that's who you were. And that that picture, I guess it was like your high school picture with you and uh, all your Cassie, kid, Cassie. Yeah. The you, Labrador. Yeah, and you had your plaid skirt <laughs> and your your little outfit on with your dog, and that was like I remember that that was the picture that one of your friends had. One of my friends had. Yeah. I was like, one day. Yeah, but sure. you were always the guy that was brilliant and handsome, but you had a girlfriend. So every time I asked, it was, so what about him again? Yeah, he has a girlfriend. Uh, well, so you were unavailable. Well, you know, <laughs> we weren't ready for each other. That's right. So we met, it was pretty much off to the races, right? Mm -hmm. I mean. We didn't. Yeah, I think it was, <clears throat> I think uh, we just, I think we both sensed that it was something, something special. I don't, I don't know if we would say, oh, you're the one, we're going to, I don't know, maybe you said that. But I'm a guy and it takes me yeah. a, a little bit longer to catch on to things. But immediately, um, I knew that I was hanging around someone, it was just different. And I always had this. I'll tell people this. I I always had like this little list in my head of like, and I think everybody does. Oh, yeah. she has to look like this. She has to act like this. Have a you know, a sharp sense of humor or whatever. They're little things, and it was with you. It was all of a sudden like the list went away, like it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like you came in. And you're like, mm, no, we're not doing lists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, when I saw you, you know, I already knew Charlie and, and had met him before and I had met you before. So it was just, it really was, it was like the right timing. It was just like the Lord just was like, this is the timing. And so I think once we finally did see each other out there, it was, that's, I think that's why it was off to the races because we had already kind of, at least knew each other, of each other a little bit. And um, I remember telling my mom and dad every night of the conference, because we were out there for about a week, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was like, could you come at 1045 tonight? Okay, could you come at like 1115? Because <laughs> could we you pick me up out. at 1130? Right. <laughs> <laughs> my parents were like, oh, no. Uh -oh. But I remember them saying they knew that you were the right person for me when I told my mom, he literally can play on the piano the music that's in my head. Yeah. And that was the first time. And you really could. It was like yeah. there were I could play the piano growing up and I could write, but there was a whole other level that I knew I couldn't do. Yeah. Like I couldn't play what was in my head fully and it was like you could play I would just sing something and you played the right thing and it was like what was in my head. It was actually more beautiful yeah. than what was even in my head, but um, I think that was a sweet thing when my parents were like, yeah. that and how my brother started initiating you, Eric. Yeah. I was scared of your brother. Your brother <laughs> is, you should interview him. He would be a handful. Yeah, I'm going to. He'd be to. a two-parter. Yeah, he would sure. part two. <laughs> He's awesome though, but he, he is, he, his gift is, uh, people. He just, he's a, yeah. he, he loves people. Mm -hmm. And if you're walking through a park, 
you, you'll turn around and be like, where's Eric? Where'd he go? And he'll be, <clears throat> he'll see some kid by himself playing soccer, yeah. goofing around. He'll just go up and, hey, man, what's going on? Where do you go to high school? Where do you, you know, and, which is the opposite of me. <laughs> so, and Eric, your brother, had a repu- bit of a reputation at Oklahoma Baptist yeah, University. Yeah, he did. Home of the Fighting Bisons. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was just a little bit intimidated to meet him. Honestly, and it was just scary because he was the the man on campus, mm-hmm. and I was not. I was just musical ma- music major, and he was awesome. I walked up to him. I remember in chapel, I, I saw him, and I was like, "Oh gosh, there he is!" I I need to just, I gotta just go meet him. Just <laughs> rip do the it. bandaid off. I didn't. I just didn't know, you know. And it gives me that Eric smile, you know, grabs me by the arm and like hugs me. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> Just we're hugging. Right. I know. That's when I knew. I was like, okay. Yeah. Nathan's the one, like the way that Eric responded to you, because he kind of, he yeah. would, I mean, he kind of would play tricks on you and stuff a little bit, like not yeah. really tricks, but like you would be sitting in class and you are so like, don't draw attention to me, whatever yeah. the cost. But he would just like be out in the hall and he would just be like, Nathan Knuckles. <laughs> like he would say your name really loud. During just, New Testament. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody would turn around and look at me. Uh, just, just the, it was a nightmare. Yeah, but it was all in fun. Yeah, all in but, fun. Uh, yeah, he loved it that I was kind of quiet. And, and you're still good friends. Best brothers. Yeah, yeah for sweet. Sure. So you took a risk on me pretty early on with Charlie and I your would buddies. Risk? I don't know if I'd say risk. You took a risk on me. <laughs> it's like a risk. <laughs> it wasn't a lot you of risk. Did. Okay. Uh, well. And I was going to say, you brought me into the fold, like, and you basically, like, bet on me. Like, let's bring her into kind of what we're doing even musically. I see. I mean, it's... Well, they just literally... But in my mind, I was thinking, because Charlie and I, at the time we started dating, were working on a independent record. Right. And we thought we were going to set the world on fire with her. You kind of did. Well, the the Tri-County area... We but that <laughs> that fanned a very large flame. Yeah, it did. It did. It was a big fire starter. Um, yeah. But I knew that uh, if I could get them to hear you sing just a verse or a chorus on any song, they'll they would know what I know because you're just different, you know. And that's what happened. You had got your wisdom teeth pulled that day. Uh, no, it was like two days, days before that. All four of them. But you know how that, yeah, I mean, everybody knows what that feeling's like. But you came in. I had never sung in a studio before. Never sang in a studio. So, guys, this is Christy. She's great. She's awesome. You're going to love her. She's totally great. And, um, yeah, we got you out there, and you put the headphones on, and you did awesome. You were out there singing, and I, I remember just Charlie and Chris, the engineer, uh, were sitting at the console. I was kind of standing in the back, and I was just kind of waiting for them to kind of get it. You know, and they did. They're like, "Oh, okay, all right, here we go." So it was fun. That's what I'm saying, though. What if we wouldn't have made it? Like we broke up, and then it was I'm this like random girl that was on your record. <laughs> oh my, that's true. Oh, I see. I mean, I'm just saying. You yeah. like, it yeah. was pretty much like we were all in. You yeah. know what I mean? It was You're like right. we just knew. Yeah, we did. from the beginning. Yeah. So sure. we formed a group. I mean, out of that, you and Charlie taking a huge risk again, you basically, we formed a group called Sons and Daughters. Yeah. Um, and traveled around, like you said, tri-state area pretty much, but 
um, that first record was called Holy Roar. And I remember moments in our first apartment, after, it was when we first got married, um, writing some of those songs, writing a song mm-hmm. called Holy Roar. And I remember you were on, you know, at the piano. I was on the couch behind you. And I'd never gotten a vision before, I don't think. Maybe I had, but I didn't realize it was a vision or I didn't realize it was the Lord speaking to me. And I think I've maybe told this story on the podcast before, but I um, had a vision of a stadium full of young people worshiping God, like making a sound that was like a roar. And this phrase, holy roar, came to me. And this whole song started to come out and I, f- I fell, f- I, I've literally got face down. I've never done, I had never done that before and I've not done it very many times since, but I've got face down. And you turned around because I stopped singing and came over to me and that's, the rest is kind of, I think we might've prayed, but I just said, I saw something. And to be clear at that time in our lives, nothing like that existed. The only thing filling yeah. stadiums were football fans or right. soccer fans. This I mean, 95, 95, yeah, 96, 97. Right. You're right. We're 95. That first, that first That's right. Apartment. First apartment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was the worship movement that we kind of stepped into um, was something that it was very special. And we were kind of getting these bootleg copies of Matt Redman and Martin Smith and Delirious and mm-hmm. hearing these songs. Um, and it seemed that it resonated so much with us and God was definitely birthing something. We mm-hmm. couldn't have told you or articulated it, I don't think, like fully at that at that time, but like that was a special moment. Yeah, I think for sure. And we you're right, we couldn't articulate it because we were doing at that time we were doing huge, huge things in ninety five. We were teaching preschool. <laughs> we were uh I was a music teacher at a preschool. Yep. We were rocking it. You were I mean, finishing school? Yeah. We were making it happen in <laughs> Shawnee, Oklahoma. <laughs> My point being, we were doing nothing. And it. so I love the purity of that. Mm-hmm. Because you can't look at that period of our lives and look at the songs and say, oh, they were just trying to <clears throat> fill a formula. Mm-hmm. They are just trying to get a record deal. and Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how far off the radar you know that was for us it was just yeah yeah, it was completely not there so i love the the purity of that and honestly it's something that i don't i mean i think you do too there's there's a fire that was there early early on that gets uh it dims a lot you know and i think that's like the ignition of our first love Mm. of uh worship Mm. Uh, making music as a form of worship. Yeah. And uh, I, I spend every day in my life kind of like, okay, how do I just get back to the pure first love, yeah. initial spark, fire, you know, because that's where the... Mm-hmm. Don't they say like like in a fire, like the hottest part of the flame is like the blue part, like closest to the... Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the hottest part, mm-hmm. not so much the outside of the flame. And yeah. Continually, I'm always trying to recapture that kind of the innocence and the don't care and we're just doing this from our guts writing from our hearts yeah well you and charlie changed my life in that way because i'd never seen young men guys 
Sometimes I call you boys when I think about those times because I'm like, wow. But I had never met young men who worshiped Jesus the way that you did and loved Jesus the way that you guys did. Like you were, you literally lived in a community with a bunch of other guys. Mm -hmm. And I think about how much I want that for our kids, you know, but like that, you changed my life. I mean, I was basically ruined from that moment on because nothing else would do. Because I'd never seen guys who, you know, were following after Jesus the way that you were. And so everything in your life, including your gifts, were like slanted towards that and like leaning towards that with everything. And so it was just so unusual um, the first few records that you guys made is Nathan and Charlie, and I remember listening to them and just, and it did. I mean, there's a lot of people who to this day would say that those early records were um, what what totally captivated their yeah. heart, you know, to, to love Jesus. Have you ever told that fun story about uh, Lauren? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You can tell it. Oh, oh it's we so were. Good. Uh, well, well, I'll well I'll pretend like I'm telling you, mm-hmm. um, in the audience. Uh, so Lauren, Chris Tomlin's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was probably four years, five years ago. Yeah, they probably mm-hmm. the first couple of years of getting married, and we were all hanging out at the airport, getting ready to get onto a flight for an international flight. Yeah, it was Chris and Lauren, you and I. Charlie was there. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other passion team was there. We we're getting ready to do a passion event over in, I think, Brazil. Um, Charlie and I were sitting next to each other, <clears throat> just talking about whatever. And I think you, or yeah, or maybe maybe Shelly Giglio, I can't remember. Yeah. Came, w- walked up and, hey, it's Nathan and Charlie back together again, you know. Yeah. Lauren, sitting close to us, overheard that. And she stood up and was like, wait. <laughs> Okay. Wait, what? You're Nathan and Charlie? Yes. We're like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. She was like, oh, my gosh. And she, anyway, just proceeded to flip out because she was like, I had your records. Yeah. She's like, I listened to you all through college. And I guess she worked at a camp or yeah, something. Yeah, at Canuck. At Canuck. And, mm-hmm. yeah, she just didn't connect that <laughs> me, Nathan, and that Charlie were Nathan and Charlie. You know, we weren't a ventriloquist act. And she also even went further when we got on the bus to go wherever we were going. And she looked at us and then it went further. And she goes, wait, you're a watermark? Yeah. (laughs) Because Chris was filling her in the whole time. I think they were engaged. Yeah, yeah. And she was just like, her mind was blown. That's so fun. It's really funny. Um, So, yeah, those were just precious times when I think back on just that first that spark you know that that igniting of what became um a flame you know and so we got married and we kind of were we were just doing ministry together early mm-hmm. on kind of thrown into a lot of things probably that we didn't even we weren't mature enough for really no we were business yeah <laughs> we're a part of a church plant in in Edmond Oklahoma yeah. um just a lot of things that you just you learn early on and I think I remember back on 
our first seven years, really, I think our first seven years, that was, it was hard. Yeah, for sure. And I fought you. A lot of it was my fault. Um, I fought you really hard um, because I think you were just so different than my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought somehow if, right. you know, you weren't leading in the way that he did because you're you're just a different type of leader. And, and Eric, too, your brother. Yeah, so different. Mm-hmm. So you have, your, your, your whole wiring is completely mm-hmm. different. And so I fought that thinking, you're not leading in the way that you're supposed to be leading. Yeah. And, I, and then I think maybe I had a little complex of like needing my voice to be heard or something that maybe I was the youngest and the only girl. Yeah. And in a... In the house where I think my dad would say even now, um, he began to lead more by grace and not the law. But I, it's it's like back then I just didn't really feel like I had a voice or had had yeah. the ability to to speak up and voice my opinion. Um, I grew into that later because yeah. he became more grace filled. But um, yeah. I think I fought you pretty hard because. I basically wanted to be, needed to feel like I, I don't know, that I was right, I guess. Those were well, hard. You were years. a lot, you were right a lot of time, but <clears throat> yeah, at the same time, internally, in my mind, you know, I mean, it's literally we're ni- 1920, they got married and we're 21. Yeah. You know, you still have so much growing up to do, still, and yeah. we were learning so much and I think that's why all of us kind of gravitate towards people that are older than us Mm -hmm. um, because they've kind of tripped through some of the stuff and learned some stuff and and I remember older couples in our life Mm -hmm. at that time that we would kind of hang out with and we even couples that were like two years older than us were like oh my gosh you know how do you do it how do you make it work and all that but yeah it's, it's funny how you we drag in all of our perceptions and our and our lists and what we think how things should go, and we set those up in the middle of our first little apartment, and we're like, "All right, meet that standard." Yeah. And where'd you get that standard? I don't know. I just kind of <laughs> made it up, <laughs> just from people I grew up with, and you know, not taking in consideration. Wait, okay, maybe Christy doesn't roll like that maybe she's this maybe she's that Mm. but you know it doesn't always just it always comes down to like just uh it just comes down to selfishness you know it does and most of my dumbest decisions dumbest things i've done in our marriage really when you break you can get off into the weeds about you know about well, I did it because of this, and you didn't get the right coffee, and da-da-da-da-da. But usually <laughs> what it comes down to is I'm thinking about what I want before I'm thinking about what you need, you know. Yeah. Putting my need before yours. That's, you know, that's what it was those first seven years. And we just, I don't think we came to that reality. Yeah. It took about seven years to be like, wait. Right. I'm just, I'm just being selfish, mm-hmm. you know. And, and we're still selfish. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> it was just, I think that, that like, marked, I remember us coming out of that, or at yeah. least just, like, maybe we just grew up in, in some ways, but I think 
we also had to fight through some really hard things and just mm-hmm. being honest and confessing some things. And that was a big grow up moment, you mm-hmm. know, but I've, I've found, you know, and I will say with this Christmas record, you know, I'll go ahead and admit we had two big old fights yeah. in this process. And I think it was because it was a pressure cooker. Yeah. Um, Timeline wise, like it got, cause you had some other things going on and, it seems, isn't it weird how when we're in a pressure cooker, how you blame and you yeah. you start being like, you know, yeah. just selfish and defensive and, um, you know, it. Yeah, I think, it, I think, again, this is how we're different to where, well, I think when you say fight, we should probably <laughs> paint a picture. It's not like I'm like pushing you up against a wall or, or anything. <laughs> It's, no, you've it's never more, done that. No, it's more just that, you know, uh, and we don't ever yell. We yeah. don't yell. And honestly, I am all for, like if a young couple was sitting here and they were like, what do you all think about arguing and disagreeing? And I would be like, I'm all, I'm all for arguing. You should argue. And you need to learn how to yeah. argue well. Yeah. With then arguing well means leaving out insults, yeah. leaving out past transgressions, you know, yeah. all that junk, staying on point, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think uh, also yelling, I, I feel like I would put that in the insult column. Mm-hmm. I think we've done pretty well. We've raised our voices, but it also just happens to be that's our personality. We're not really yelling loud people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But we definitely, I also think as we were working on the Christmas record, you know, you and I sat and we worked out all these songs. And then I think that um, we're not in some magical studio with a staff of people. It's me 10 feet from our main house over in the studio. And Mm -hmm. we're working this thing out, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not super... Uh, glamorous, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that we're hitting just really close to the bone with the songs yeah. and the production. It's it was so personal. Yeah. So in most cases, in most records that I would do, if a comment was made, I would kind of be like, oh, okay, well, we'll figure it out, whatever. Yeah. And and if I didn't like a verse or a chorus or something on another artist's song. I would just say, I don't know, man. Chorus is kind of lame. Let's figure something else out. You know, I'm just not feeling it. You know. Yeah. Well, I can't really introduce that kind of language into our our record because yeah. this isn't just a record. It's our marriage. It's when people listen to the Christmas record, you're you're kind of you're sort of hearing a well, not sort of. You are hearing an audio representation of our marriage, really. Yeah. And our musical relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's a big deal. That's not yeah. just a. There's no uh, fancy plug-in, or there's no mm-hmm. technical way to get to that point. You just have to, you have to hit close to the bone. Yeah. To get to that place, you know? and we did. Yeah. And uh, we argued, a couple of big flare-ups, and. But we figured out through that. I think through this record that, and you said it, is that you become the artist when you produce me. 
just as much as I'm the artist. So when you're producing like an Aaron Schuster, you know, Matt Redman, you don't necessarily become the artist. You're just, you're in a different position with them. Where as this time you were like, I think I've discovered, I've realized that you put yourself in the artist place, kind of like the watermark days when, I mean, it really was like the watermark days this, this time around. Yeah, and I would say even more. I think it just goes back to there's this this current that goes under our whole life of and creatively, musically speaking, where my talent kind of ends, you kind of pick up right there. Like I can't put two words together. Like, but that's where you, that's like your guts. That's your passion. That's where mm-hmm. you start. You know, mm-hmm. everything starts from there. Yeah, and I've always said that about you. It's the same with me. Yeah. It's like where my ability and my talent ends, that's where you, yeah. it's the same. You begin there, and so it's this, like, it truly is. It's always been mm-hmm. a, a musical marriage that literally only God could have. That sounds so cheesy. I know, but, but it's it, true. But, well, the point to where those two worlds <laughs> uh, meet, the uh, is that's probably the hard part. It is. You know, where those two things connect. Yeah. And then you feel like your passion is is making its way through all of my melodic production ideas. Yeah. And And I think, too, I'm I'm in my early 40s, and I've, I've, I think, discovered my voice in a different way. Not my singing voice, but, like, just my voice, like, my... Um, honesty and what I really truly think and I think I've become more honest as I've gotten older and I've realized what I really desire and want you know and so I think I was probably more vocal this time around than I've been in a really long time plus I'm most honest with you I mean you see it all Um, so I mean I just think about that one c-section where the doctor gave you like a a, yeah. a whole just, yeah, here's the ovaries here's the he like showed you all my insides like, fantastic <laughs> thank you doctor let's go ahead and lock I've in what some, you're doing there I've had some <laughs> surgeries in my ears but like yeah I just always think like <clears throat> man you've definitely yeah. you've you've seen it all <laughs> um but I'm probably I'm most honest with you I'm just, you get the unfiltered me, just like my mom gets the unfiltered me. Like, I feel sorry for my mom a lot because I don't click on this thing when she's around that I feel like I have to be on. So sometimes I think I'm I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm like I have the, the resting mean face sometimes, like mm-hmm. um, even when my parents are here because I just, I, I always feel bad, you know, when they leave. Or just that you, you know, you see the unfiltered me when I'm just not feeling the pressure to be on or to, like, make my face light up in a way or, you know, just be um, bubbly or whatever. And not that I'm sour uh, all the time. But the result of that is I remember we were at the tail end of the process probably, what, six weeks ago. I was really... I was really tired, and I was working a ton of nights to try to get it done and, <clears throat> and all that. And I had this little production breakthrough on mm. um, Amaryllis. Yeah. And I got really excited about it. And there was just something missing. It's just kind of the battle I fight where there's something that's it's beautiful, it's awesome, but there was just 
something not there that was supposed to be there. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. So it's just kind of going through the weeds and trying to find it. I thought I found it. Um, there was a lot of sour faces from me and you from the whole record. And we were, we were seeing the finish line, but we're like, are we crazy? Is this stupid? Is this terrible? You, uh, I came in in the morning, probably before the kids started school. Hey, can I play something real quick? Mm-hmm. I had you come out to the studio. You're in your pajamas. And, and I played you Amaryllis with this one little added element thing. And yeah, it was, uh, I was thinking, all right, this is feeling good. And you're kind of behind me. And, um, uh, I turned around and you're, you're crying. Yeah. And you were like, you were like, I, I think you said like, I needed, I needed to hear that. Yeah. Like I needed that right now. Yeah. Um, so as a producer and as your husband and as your musical whatever <laughs> uh that's like that's the top of the mountain that's it yeah that's that's like that's what i fight for and i strive for the other yeah so i i, I, I you, love what that were you gonna say? no i was just <laughs> no it wasn't anything it was off of another little thing um i, I was just gonna say I, as a producer it's just a mysterious, weird thing that we do, but it's more just uh, constantly in this room that we're in right now, trying to paint a picture yeah. um, of what I want it to be yeah. and what we've talked about. And then it's trying to, if you come in and say, you know, I want it metaphorically, I want it blue and green with shades of yellow and white doves here and there you know <laughs> and, and then you walk out the door and then i'm and then i'm in this room like okay now what does she mean by that how can i get that how can i make her cry it's really been, <laughs> how do i get her to be like i love this because she's not going to tell me she loves it if she doesn't you know mm. so anyway to get to that point is great we had a sweet friend send us a uh, a little text video yeah and he filmed uh, his wife listening to a section of a song. Um, of the Thrill of Hope, yeah. Of this the record. Thrill of Hope, yeah. of the Christmas record. I think it was uh, The Bridge of... Um, oh, Come, Oh, Come. Oh, Come, Oh, Come. And uh, make room yeah. in your heart. And uh, he, she didn't know he was filming, and her, she was crying. Yeah. And he was like, hey, why are you, why are you crying? <laughs> and she had her hands over her face, yeah, and she, she was like, she was like, it's just so beautiful. It's yeah. so beautiful. And, I mean, it's just, like, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of anything yeah. that beats that. Yeah. You know, you're like, gosh, that, the arguing, the yeah. hitting close to the bone. I mean, that's that's where the good stuff is, you know, yeah. and that's where you move people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think about um, our pastor, Darren, you know, he's been talking about the values of our church and and the renewal of all things, you know, and how there's this redemptive edge to, um, to, to everything because of the resurrection, because of what Christ has done. And so, and he talked about the arts and how there's a fallen edge to the arts. There's a fallen edge to every part of society, but there's also a redemptive edge. And I love that. And I think really, that's what 
I have in my heart. And I think what we're saying even is just like when I'm doing my vocals and and I'm literally when no one can see me and I'm wedged between, we have basically two trundle mattresses in here <laughs> that I get wedged between. Um, and it's kind of a sound buffer thing yeah. for those of you who don't understand why we have trundle mattresses in here. But, right. um, and I'm wedged in there and I've got, no one can see me, but my hands are raised and I'm literally like, you know, trying to get through it sometimes because I'm, I'm weeping because it's, mm-hmm. It's just a message, like you said, that like I think is it's it's in in our marrow. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. um, wanting so much to um, bring what we believe into mm-hmm. the art that we make, so that it's a part of Christ redeeming all things, like through His people, through His church, and and I think when we hit on those moments where you mm-hmm. turn around and and yeah. I'm weeping, it's like that's the beautiful part of it to me is that um, a cello is a part of that and a violin yeah. and a bagpipe or a yeah. drum beat. And, right. and that's what I love about you so much because a lot of people wouldn't know the depth that you carry all yeah. of that in your marrow. And like, mm-hmm. um, and you've worked on a lot of, music actually that people probably have in their minivan right now mm-hmm. that they don't even know that it was blood sweat and tears on your part um mm-hmm. lots of matt redmond tim yeah. hughes all a lot of the passion records i mean mm-hmm. many 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 passion records many yeah. <laughs> from the, yeah. the last 20 years um and what i guess just what do you think, I know you've said before about, you know, we're going to get to heaven and mm-hmm. you think that music, um, we're just going to be blown away um, yeah. by what we're going to experience. I'd love for you to just talk yeah. about Yeah, well, I always think it's interesting how, especially in worship music, there is a certain sound <clears throat> that kind of works on Christian radio. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain sameness to it. Mm-hmm. There's a sameness. That's totally not a word. Sameness. I like it. To uh, worship music, you know. Mm-hmm. There's the big guitar intro hook thing. There's the, you know, and the melody has to be too high for guys and too low for girls. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, and it all kind of, you know, it's, I love it. And it, I love, and it feels great. And I, I produce that music. So I'm I'm all in. I love it. I do think we have to, as far as when we're talking about technical um, sounds and loops and guitar sounds and keyboard sounds and drum beats, should we have live drums? Should we have electric drums? The the PA is too loud. It's too soft. I can't hear myself very very well on my monitors and. Mm-hmm. It's like we have to keep all that in perspective. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah, like you said, I do think we are going to go to heaven and be like, oh, gosh, we had we had no clue, <laughs> yeah. you know, what we were doing. You know, it's just we're just over here like, oh, God, check out my delay pedal. <laughs> God's like, that's sweet. Okay, yeah. all right. Just we, I'm we looking at your heart, though. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at your heart. But I, I, but I also do think that when we're writing those songs, <clears throat> I'm sorry, when I'm producing those songs, 
guitar parts, keyboard parts, all that stuff. It's kind of like I'm trying to give us kind of a, a, a step stool that we can stand up on and stretch as high as we can to the sky. Mm-hmm. And melodies and tones kind of do that for me. Yeah, it, It's kind of like my heart is just imagine yourself on your toes stretching as high as you can mm-hmm. looking up as high as you can and that, that's kind of what melodies and guitar parts and keyboards do yeah and you've said before that you feel like some there could be even a conversion in someone like like that that just melody alone because it's god created could literally move it can move you it does. I mean, Completely. but even without a lyric, like it can be like. Yeah. Um, and I, I love it that you're that. saying that. It's probably taken you years to say that. Mm-hmm. But to, there is a weight to melody. Yeah. Uh, and there is a weight to lyrics, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've heard some really bad melodies with beautiful lyrics, and the songs are never heard, mm-hmm. and they just go away. And no one gives them the time of the day. I've also heard some amazing melodies. I mean, you listen to pop radio. Yeah. And they're singing about popcorn. Yeah. Or what (laughs) microwaves. I don't know what they're singing about. It doesn't matter, really. They're not even singing about anything. It doesn't even make any sense. But it feels good. Yeah. So that's one extreme of that. Um, I would say that the more healthy extreme example of that would be when we saw Les Mis, the movie... Yeah. Like, what was that, three years ago? At least. Um, it was the end of, it was the final scene. We were in the theater, because it was almost out of the theaters. I remember, and it yeah. was the night before Passion, Passion So it was probably like December 31st or something. Uh-huh. And we didn't have the kids. It was you and me. We saw the late show, and um, we were feeling pretty vulnerable. We had been writing a ton and getting ready for Passion. Yeah. Went and saw that movie. Um, it was the end, for me personally, it was the end of the movie to where I think they're all up on the wall. It's been a few years since I've seen it. They're all up on the wall. They're singing that big last finale yeah. song. Um, I was really moved, but it kind of didn't hit me till I remember we're on the escalator down to the parking garage. And I think you said something like, well, what did you think? You know, mm-hmm. and I had something unleashed in me, like, broken me yeah like i would wept and wept in a parking lot and then you started weeping and yeah we were like we were out loud out loud in a park i I don't even know if there were people driving by or not there could have been (laughs) five i have no idea but looking back on that i have no idea what they were singing about Mm -hmm. like i don't know yeah what it was was the melody and i was overwhelmed at the fact that there was a guy that sat down at the piano, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, you know, they sat down at the piano and he, those melodies came out of him. And, um, you know, it's been moving people. I don't know when that was written. You know, I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, 
And then collectively, that guy took these melodies yeah. to this orchestra, you yeah. know, and then and then this choir sang these melodies. And, you know, you put all that together, you know, and it's, it's just the ultimate for me personally. Mm-hmm. It's where all those things connect. It's beautiful lyrics. It's beautiful melodies. It's, you know, probably a cumulative of 150 people. Yeah. All coming together around this one melody in this one moment, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's really powerful. Yeah, and my brother Eric often says, with music, he's like, I just wish people would let the humans be heard. Let the humans be heard. If Eric makes a record, it'll be called <laughs> "Let the Humans Be Heard." But it's, I think that was part of it too, is because I think it was like a a moment where we maybe felt a bit put in a box musically because of what you were saying that there's a sameness and even putting ourselves in a box putting ourselves in a box we're trying to write what we think other people would want to hear right and to fit into that sameness you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's nobody's fault it's just it is what it is but I think that that I remember in the theater just hearing voices sing together like Mm -hmm. that um, of course, the story is basically the gospel, but I mean, it's amazing just to hear, um, like you said, humans coming together and making music that moves the soul, you know? Yeah. And and I think, too, just seeing um, music in a different light, but just how much we carry that as a part of the way that God uses us to mm-hmm. bring renewal, like bring heaven yeah. to earth. Yeah. You know, and and for some for for you it's writing these amazing truths in a in a way that people can own those words for themselves. Mm-hmm. And people say to you all the time, that's yes, that's how that's how I feel. You know, yeah. that's what I wanted to say, you know. Yeah. And then for people like me, it's it's can I take some of those truths and some of this amazing, beautiful poems you're doing and put them in this little canoe, music canoe, and mm-hmm. shove them down the river? Yeah, you yeah. know, and um, that's that's my you know form of worship and yeah. being part of this renewal. And it's not a less than or more than, you know. Yeah. It's like we're all in this together. Yeah. I love what Jaron said, our pastor, again, just on Sunday when he was preaching about renewal. But he even said, you know, he remembers a time that his friend was in the hospital. and he was They weren't sure what was going to happen. It was serious. and But this one nurse who kept coming in, mm-hmm. he said peace would just fill the room. And the way that she looked at people and the way she responded and the way mm-hmm. she cared for him, it was like kingdom come. Like it, right. it and so it's ours happens to be music, but yeah. that's what I love is in every part of society as the church that we are bringing the kingdom here. It's not just that we're going there; it's also we are going there, but to to heaven and to spend eternity with Him when that comes. But like mm-hmm. we're also as the church a part of we are who he's using, who mm-hmm. God is using. to, And it's not the singers and the preachers. It's 
I mean, I'm, I stare at a computer and move around waveforms most of my day. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, all, it's all of us. It's all of us, yeah. It's the mom homeschooling today or just picking up your kids at the bus stop. Or, and it's that conversation even that just mm-hmm. happens from the bus stop to home or from soccer practice to, yeah. you know, violin lessons or whatever it is. It's those conversations. It's just those glorious moments, you know, um, captured in what we do and what, and mm-hmm. you know, day to day. I wanted to end on just your, you are such a amazing father um, to our kids and um, I'm so thankful we have a son who's 16 and we have two girls, 13 and 9. And you have a really amazing relationship with each one of them. And um, I will say, too, just as knowing you, I know, I see the inside. And you've made some really hard choices through the years um, that I feel like are you just sewing, you know, um, into our kids. You've chosen many, 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 many nights to shut off your computer at six o'clock mm-hmm. when in your industry, most guys keep working. Yeah. Again, it's not, it's just a different calling. I mean, yeah. it's not to say that what they're doing is wrong. It's just, I've seen you, um, literally like lay down things would I you know I I know for a fact that you could have you know really taken a different path Mm -hmm. being a producer um taking on more and working through the night and not seeing your children for dinner and bedtime but you established something early on Mm -hmm. that you've literally stuck, you've stuck to it. And I respect you so much for that. And the sweet part is that now after all these years, it's like, I'm starting to see, um, a harvest from that, Mm -hmm. you know, in our kids lives, you know, and I, I so appreciate that. Do you remember, like, was it just a turning point in you? Like what, or was it just the Lord, you know, maybe getting a hold of your heart a long time ago? Or, mm-hmm. like, what what made you make that decision? I, I think initially it was a fear of <clears throat> uh, a fear of missing out. Like, yeah. I think, um, and again, it's, it's a little bit not fair because <clears throat> I think God just wired me a certain way. Yeah. So it, I'm able to make, maybe make some decisions, maybe a little bit easier than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but e- even in a high school and college, I think God has always given me a bit of a perspective on the situation mm-hmm. and not get too overwhelmed by, um, even in high school, you know, oh, I'm not going to the right party. I'm not doing this or doing, I always kind of had a perspective on high school. Like, you know, we're all just kind of 16, 17, eight year, 18 year olds. We kind of don't even know what we're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. This is not life. Mm-hmm. You're never going to play football again. We got to, you know, we got to go get jobs and we're going to get married. I always had this perspective of like, you know, this is great. I just need to enjoy it for what it is, yeah. you know, but it's very monetary. 
momentary, yeah. whatever the word momentary. is. Momentary, <laughs> So when we st- started having kids and babies, I think that kind of kicked in with them, too. I just had this perspective of, like, I'm looking at Noah right now, and he's never going to be whatever, four weeks, four months old, four yeah. years old, 14 years old. Yeah. It's, ne- it's never going to happen again. Mm. And I think you and I, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'd say you and I, we talk about this stuff enough to where it's always in the front of my mind that this, it just goes by so fast. And, um, the decisions that we made when they were six months old, a year old, even starting with, you know, just how we rolled with nap times and feedings and all that kind of stuff. Um, we were just real deliberate, I think is probably the right word. And we have always tried to be proactive with our decisions as opposed to reactive. Like, oh, Noah did that, so now i got to do this. Um, And there's always been, and we always kind of respond and bounce off of how we were raised. Yeah. And one way I kind of bounce off, rebound off of how I was raised is... Uh, there was a lot of mystery growing up, just about everything. <laughs> yeah, you know, just a lot of stuff. Just, and that's just how parents did things in the seventies, yeah. eighties. Yeah, you know, you just don't sit down and talk about stuff, but <clears throat> a whole lot. So with Noah specifically, just taking the mystery out of everything. Yeah, just calling stuff out. I'm not um, not in an embarrassing way. Yeah. Um, and not just about the obvious things, just about everything. Yeah. Just even about our our finances or why I made a certain decision. Mm-hmm. I never want Noah to feel like, and we just talked about this the other day, I don't want him to feel like, oh, well, I can't do that because mom said no or dad said no. To figure out a way, and hopefully we've laid down the tracks and the groundwork for this, that we help him arrive to that decision on his own. Yeah. To where he kind of throw him the right questions. So yeah. he's like, does this make sense to you, Noah? Yeah. Now this and this and this. And take the mystery out of decisions. You're yeah. asking me to do this. And this is why I'm saying no. Yeah. I don't know this guy. I don't know where this place is. Um, you've been driving for three months. There's a lot of question marks, and the risk is very high. Yeah. That's why I'm saying no. Yeah. But, but, you know. <laughs> no, you know. So, I, I don't know. I, I would say I didn't want to miss out, and I think we've always tried to be just deliberate and right or wrong. I would say if I look back on our parenting, we've been, we've tried to be deliberate. Yeah. And proactive. Yeah. We've made a lot of mistakes. And two or three. <laughs> yeah, we've made a lot. And we fight for, I think we're fighters too. Like we fight for, um, I mean, you know, I think that's, we have probably what, like every month and a half, we have a kind of, we call it come to Jesus meeting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you and me first. Yeah. And then just to always make sure that we're fighting for the right things. And, and I think, I think probably one of the most encouraging things to me about being married 21 years, almost, yeah, 21 years, right? 21 and a half, yeah. 
is it just seems, and I hope this is encouraging to people today, but like, I really feel like it's like, it's like this series of doors. I've always had this like picture in my mind of like that marriage is like, and when you get pressed up against one door and you think it's not going to open and you maybe have to be honest and you have to confess some things, you have to say some things to each other um, to kind of shake it loose. And you think this door is not going to open. I don't know if this door is going to open. You know, there's been some times through this move that right. yeah. it was like, is this door, is this next door going to open? Yeah. You know, of just... And then you're questioning in the back of your mind, is it locked? Right. Am I pushing up against a wall? Right. Is it not supposed to open? You know? Exactly. So there's that fear. But it just, I feel like pushing through that with honesty and breaking it down with a sledgehammer if we have to, um, which we've had to do that before with just... Um, you know, not letting, I think, like, bitterness set in or, like, any kind of, like, blaming each other and, you know, anything that's, like, kind of gets mm-hmm. set within your mind, like, against the other person or, like, that he's not doing this or he's not doing that. or um, And, too, just, like, what I've learned is, like, really taking that to Jesus. Like, in James, it talks about if you, you know, if there's, if there's tension among you, you know, ask Jesus about it. And there's so mm-hmm. many times you don't even know, but that I've taken things to the Lord and just like said, okay, I think that if I said this specific thing, that's going to be like you said, an insult. And so it's really take that and let Jesus absorb that mm-hmm. first. And, um, and yes, still being honest with each other and having those hard conversations and where we're going as a family, where God's leading us. And then it's like we fight through it, and the next day, it feel it, it's like a whole other like this. We feel yeah, and I feel like we're in that for a couple of you know sure. these you know pressing through some things in yeah. the past month and a half, and then it's like. And it's just like this door opens and there's just this season of where you like, um, you're in what I feel like God made marriage to be. And it's not always like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we go through these times where you have to push through these walls or these doors. And it's mm-hmm. like, but then it releases. And then I feel like there's this whole other yeah. kind of a reward almost of like. But you had no, I, you had no idea. Was there. And what's, that's what, it's always sad though. I've. A lot of people will miss out on. I, I personally, those those come to Jesus meetings you spoke of. <laughs> and I'll say this quickly, but it, it, I, I would, I would get massively bummed out. Like, oh god, here we go. You know, Sorry. and no, it's it's good. <laughs> I'm the ringleader. A lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, but I think that those sh- shouldn't carry a negative tag. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And. The fact that <clears throat> you're coming together, we're coming together. Um, hey, this is bugging me. Where are we going? What? I it's it should be seen as completely a great thing because we're continually we're fighting to keep the lights on. Yeah. <clears throat> not let there be any shadows cast in our marriage and fighting for that. Yeah. And uh, keeping things out in the open and it just I think it's just a signal. Whenever we come together like that, that says, "Hey, we're not going to let this settle into the yeah. next to just mediocrity and yeah. nothing, and we're not going to cruise." 
Yeah, and you definitely are the catalyst for that. You don't settle. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's super frustrating for me a lot. And then I look, no, (laughs) no. But I'm saying is on the other side of it, I'm like, gosh, if she wouldn't have pushed us, then I wouldn't have this, and then she wouldn't have that. And we pushed through that door, and you have no idea. So, yeah. I think that's always something encouraging that I would I tell young couples too. <clears throat> uh, when you're up against that thing, that door, that locked door or whatever, yeah. to push through. Because you just, and it's always better in the morning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's always better the next day. Even with my work. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm going to go mow lawns for a living. That's what I'm. That's what I'm gonna do. Which is so much easier. It'd be so much easier. It's always kind of enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you for letting me. Yeah, it's been a real joy. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's. Can I say that um, you you have an issue because there are about twenty seven coffee mugs from our house in your studio right now. And I took in. Four this morning. So seriously, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. in here. Thirteen. This is where all my coffee mugs are. There's thirteen coffee (laughs) mugs. I don't know. I think when I turn off my computer and come inside, I just literally want to. I don't think. Oh, and I'm going to clean up the studio. I turn off the computer and I just start walking towards the house. Yeah. I'm like, I'm out. I'm glad, but I'll help you with those today. We need to get a basket. Sorry. <laughs> or a wheelbarrow. <laughs> or a dishwasher you can put out here. A little portable. Get one of the kids out here. Well, happy release day for the thrill of hope. And thank hey, you for nobody carried it more than you did. And Thanks. I'm real proud of it. Proud of you. Proud of us. Yeah. Love you. Love you too. As you can tell, we're passionate around here about the way God uses music. It's such a gift to us, and we will forever be humbled and grateful that it's a gift that God lets us in on as His people, such a healing balm for the soul. One sweet note I'd like to add. So you know how I began this whole podcast months ago with telling you about my farm table epiphany and how God led me to Psalm 37, which is the verse that led me to Jesus when I was seven because it was on a wall plaque in our house growing up and it had my name on it, the meaning of my name, which is follower of Christ, and then it included these verses from Psalm 37 on it. Well, years later at my farm table, as I've told you before, in my 30s, God takes me back to that psalm in the sweetest way and blesses me with this concentric circles picture of living in the bullseye, which looks like truly trusting Him with my life and surrendering all those outer rings fully to God. And the part of that passage I've really deeply carried starts in verse 4 and goes through verse 6. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And I've said this countless times, but it was like the word give just jumped off the page at me that day. And I was able to look at it in a few different ways that, yes, as we delight ourselves in Him, He gives us what we truly desire in our heart of hearts, but He also sets desires within us. And this was the defining moment for me to learn to trust Him with even what He was setting within me in each season and to fully lean on Him for all of it. Well, I've told you before that deep just keeps calling to deep with this theme in my life. So get this. A few weeks ago, 
my sister-in-law, the Amaryllis Kristen, she texted me late one night and she was going to be taking her Bible study group through Psalm 37 that next morning. And she was ecstatic and she was literally freaking out. And she said, have you ever looked up the original Hebrew word for give used in, he will give you the desires of your heart in Psalm 37, 4? And I said, no, I haven't. And she was like, put everything down, stop everything and look up the word Give, the Hebrew word number 5414. The original word for give in that passage is the word, are you ready for this? Nathan. It's where the name Nathaniel originated. It's a verb, and it means God gives. And we were both just speechless and in awe of such detail that the very verse that God has used to call my heart to His more than any other verse would include the name of my husband in it. It reminds me of the time that Nathan's mom told me what the name Knuckles means. It was about three or four years into our marriage one Christmas, and she said, have I ever told you that the name Knuckles means a little hill? Of course, this meant the world to me because my maiden name is Hill. It's these little treasures that remind me that there's a story he's weaving literally from the time we were knitted together in our mother's womb, all of our days ordained before one of them could come to be, even that random Sunday night, 42 years in, that I discover that my husband's name is set within my life passage of Scripture. What a sweet mystery we're living in. I hope you're encouraged today by that, just to stay alive to this mystery unfolding every day in the middle of the most ordinary things. The Thrill of Hope, my Christmas album, can be purchased today on iTunes for digital copies and Amazon.com for physical copies, complete with the beautiful artwork. I hope it slows your steps this Christmas, and most of all, that Jesus is adored in your home and in your car or wherever you're listening this Christmas season. We're going to be back to our regular schedule of Wednesdays next week, and I have some guests coming up soon that you don't want to miss. So I'll talk to you soon. Open up your heart, receive it, the key.